and welcome back to the Native and Transplant. I'm your native, Alex Johnson. Jen, our transplant, and myself had the opportunity to go Facebook Live at the Sheriff Candidate Forum for Larimer County last Wednesday on February 2nd. So, coming forward is going to be the audio of that. I did have to edit a couple of parts out, but the full video is up on our Facebook page. So I just shortened it down a little bit and got everything that was in the actual candidate forum. Took out the uh, little bit of waiting and um, if you dive into the video itself, it actually gets going right about the 8 minute mark um, because again, just a little bit of the delays during the process. So I hope you enjoy this and feel free if you have any questions or if you want to, to reach out to us and have us dive in, we are working with both candidates to get them on the podcast. And if there's particular questions that you want to ask, reach out to us at the native.thetransplant at gmail.com and we would love to ask them on your behalf. So without further ado, here it is. We can't keep doing it. 
I've been in law enforcement for 29 years. I've worked in Weld County, Larimer County, and Boulder County. I've done every job there is to do in law enforcement. I've been a patrol officer, a field training officer, a patrol sergeant, a field training supervisor, a detective, a SWAT team leader, a commander, and my current position is deputy chief of police for the city of Louisville. So I'm responsible for all operational and administrative functions of the department on a day-to-day -day basis, and I execute a $7 million budget there. That experience is what it's going to take to protect the good people of Larimer County from both of those kinds of tyranny and freedom thieves that we're encountering right now. You need someone who's going to stand up for you, who's going to stand up for your rights, and who's going to stand up to criminals and stand up to our state legislature, which keeps trying to run uh, terrible bill after terrible bill to hamstring law enforcement and make it harder for us to do our jobs. And we've got to put a stop to this. I'm the candidate that, that's going to do that for you, and I'm looking forward to taking your questions tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, John, uh, you got five minutes. Uh, Jeff's John Fayan, or John Fan, one of the two. Uh, so, uh, five minutes. Thank you, Tom. See, now, Sandra told me that the talk is one of the switch. So now, here it is, right? <laughs> Very good. Okay, so I'm going to try to stay on camera. I kind of wondered there, my friend. I do. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> okay, so my name is John Fayan, and I'm running for Larimer County Sheriff. And the reason why I want to be your sheriff is because I've been part of this community for 30 years. I have been a first responder and I have served in every capacity in every community in every corner of this of this county. And I have the relationships to build upon the pathway that the sheriff's office is, is moving forward on, to, to hold the criminals accountable, to get involvement from the citizens, and to help with the mental health issues. I already have those relationships. I have those relationships within the sheriff's office, within the law enforcement agencies, and with the community. So we moved here as a family 31 years ago, my wife and I, and we started, when I say we, we serve at every community in this, in this county, I mean almost every community in this county. So I started off here in Loveland working as a paramedic firefighter back in 1991. Worked Wayside Inn Fire, those of you who are old time bursted folks when it burned down Christmas Eve 1993, I was on duty and my partner and I were the first in the door on that event. So I was serving community back then. In 2000, I went through a police academy hosted by the Larimer County Sheriff's Office, and I got hired by the Larimer County <coughs> Sheriff's Office. And I was very, very fortunate that in my time there, I had the opportunity to get posted to every corner of this county. Served a couple of years in Nessus Park, served a couple of years as a patrol officer and supervisor, went to Wellington as a sergeant, went to Berthet as an interim police chief. Some of you may remember a couple of years ago, Berthet had, had a collapse of integrity had an officer there abuse her child and the chief that covered it up. When there was a question about whether the community could feel safe again, whether we could address crime issues in that area, whether there was faith in what law enforcement could do, I was tapped to go down there and be the interim chief for several months. So I've served in Berthet as well. I've served in investigations. And we'll talk more, hopefully, about what that looks like, but truly found a passion there working with the children, children who were victimized by those who they trusted, children who are victimized by those who share child pornography online. And then I had the opportunity to become a lieutenant and work uh, overarching in the agency and investigations. And about three years ago, I moved forward to be an assistant chief. So I've been an assistant chief with Fort Collins now for the past three years. 
where I served in patrol, and where I currently serve in the Special Operations Division. So gaining those community partnerships, I've established those partnerships, those communication pathways already. And I will continue to do that, to listen and to stand up for what you believe in, to help you keep you safe, no matter what, like Yvonne said earlier, right? It doesn't matter what your race, your color, your creed is. Everybody wants to feel safe. And I can do that because I will listen and because I have the relationships within the community to do that. And before we get going, I'm sure, thank you, Yvonne and Solomon, for having us here and for re rescheduling again and again and again. So thanks for everybody. <laughs> Solomon, all yours. Uh, thanks for both of you. And uh, John, I'm start out with you. There's now uh, speculation that there may be lineup lockdowns. Would you enforce these if they were mandated? Climate lockdowns? That's the question. Is. All right, whoever wrote the question, you need to clarify a little bit for me because I don't know what. Yes, sir, and Matt. So there's, there is discussion that the COVID lockdowns were sort of a test yep. to, to implement other types of lockdowns later, including climate lockdowns. So if they determined that I was polluting too much and we Absolutely ridiculous. No way, no how. 
here's a fairly long question here for you. In an era of, of increasing federal government overreach, FBI, CIA, ATF, stings, and false flags, Ruby Ridge, Lavoie, Finnick, and Branch Davidson uh, proposed FEMA camps for the unvaccinated Australia and Austria, etc. The sheriff is the final defense of our constitutional rights. That is why he is elected by the people and not appointed by the bureaucrats. What would you do to assure us that you will not, that you will protect our constitutional rights rather than assist in the federal government's ever-increasing overreach? Jeff? Well, the first thing I'm going to do upon taking office is I'm going to send out a couple letters. The first one's going to go to the director of the FBI in the local office and let them know that my expectation is if they plan to take any law enforcement action in Larimer County, then I expect them to have a conversation with me about it first, and then we'll go from there. The second letter is going to go to the school board, both Pooter and Thompson, and put them on notice that if I learn that they have ever vaccinated a child absent parental consent, I am absolutely going to investigate it as a criminal <laughs> So, um, again, the answer is no. This might be a continuing theme tonight. Uh, not only am I not going to tolerate it, but uh, I'm going to stand in the way of the federal government doing anything like that. Uh, it's just it's just simply not going to happen. They're not going to victimize the good people of Larimer County. They're not going to trample on your constitutional rights upon your sheriff, period. Well, not dissimilar. I think that's one of the things you're going to see tonight is that there's, there's not a lot of dissimilarities when we talk about. Um, I don't know about writing the letters. I think I would have conversations rather than throwing down ultimatums and develop those relationships. Because the harder you push, the harder they're going to pull back. Does that mean I'm going to not support your rights? Absolutely not. But there's four years in the sheriff's office term, and to throw down an ultimatum your first day is not necessarily the, the, the best way to go. Uh, in my opinion. In my opinion. So, but you know what? Are we going to round people up and put them in camps? No, somebody did that, right? Somebody did that back in 1933. Somebody did that in the in Russia and in Germany, we are not going to I, I would be the first one to stand in front of the tanks like they did in Tiananmen Square or wherever and say this is absolutely not going to happen in, in our country. We don't round people up because they're not vaccinated. We don't round people up because they're black or they're poor or they're whatever. That's totally ridiculous. No. Thank you. And John, we'll start out with you on this one. As Sheriff, what would you do in a case where a member of your staff was charged with unreasonable use of force in making an arrest? Well, so that's that's uh, that's easy one. I mean, transparency. We work on public trust, and if there's not transparency, and we're not above the law, we're part of the law, and so we have to have that kind of transparency and that visibility and those questions. So when you, the question is when they're charged. So at some point. It's been reviewed by investigators. A criminal charge has been brought forward, and so they're already charged with it. Does that mean that I automatically default to, oh, you used force, and so you're wrong? Absolutely not. Sometimes force is necessary, and that's what we, we get paid to do. And it doesn't look pretty. But I'm not going to hide behind the badge. We're not going to say, just because you use force or you're a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, that that's okay. I don't know what else to say. I'm done, right? <laughs> so, yeah. 
Well, the first thing I'm going to do is have a conversation with the community and let the community know what has transpired, because you have a right to know. We are your law enforcement, not the other way around. I'm going to let them know that we're going to investigate it from an administrative perspective and a criminal perspective. The deputy is going to be afforded due process, and if the deputy did something wrong, then I'm going to hold them accountable. And if it's a matter of excessive force, there's just absolutely no place for that in law enforcement. He's gonna, he or she is going to have to go work somewhere else because I am not going to employ people who use excessive force, period. Hey, uh, this is for you. If you knew then what you know now about BLM, would you do anything differently? <laughs> awesome. I'm glad somebody asked. So I, let's just... Call it what it is, right? You're all talking about the kneeling picture, right? Okay, so let's talk about that. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, excuse me. So let's talk about that. What happened that day? I apologize. I'm joking myself. So, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit. So, I'm going to talk about my position in special operations at the sheriff's, or at the sheriff's office, at police services. My job is to conduct with the community. Every segment of our community. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, with regards to your religious background, no matter what your color is, it doesn't matter. I had a problem, so I'm a, I'm a man of faith, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I had a problem. Because I go into synagogue, I go into temples, I go into all manner of religious places. Some of them go believe in the same God that I do. And I had a concern because it was, I went to my, my, my spiritual leader and I went, Right? The first rule is thou shalt have no other God before me. So how do I how do I reconcile this? And he said, you know, when they're praying to whomever their deity is or whatever they believe in, it doesn't mean that you can't say amen as you pray to Jesus Christ. Okay? So what does it have to do with when I do something different? So let me tell you what that thought process is, right? So on that day in the infancy stages of demonstrations for social justice, for whatever it was, somebody died. Whether you agreed whether he was a good person or a bad person, he deserved it, didn't deserve it, somebody died. And not only that, but four officers probably put the uniform on every day who wore the badge, I doubt very much that they walked out that day and said, hey, you know what? I think I want to be in the middle of a national controversy. I think I want to cause an uproar. I think I want every officer in this country to be questioned about what they do because of what I'm going to do today. I don't think that's what happened. And so that picture that caught me kneeling was me in prayer. I was watching the First Amendment rights of the people. I don't necessarily have to agree with everything that's said, nor will I always agree with what's said. Out there, maybe even here, but I will die to protect that right to say it. And as I'm kneeling there that day, when they asked for that moment, out of respect for a man who did lose his life, and four officers and four families who lost their husbands, their sons, their brothers. Absolutely. I was praying that day. And I will continue to pray. I'm glad you asked the Thank you.
John, uh, basically, if you knew what you knew, you know today about BLM, would you do anything differently? And there's some other things on that, some other questions. Uh, oh, okay. I didn't know if you wanted me to answer as well, or that was just for that John? Was for, yeah, that was for John. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Did you want to say something on it? Hey, I'm never going to turn down a chance to say something. So, <laughs> yeah, 30 seconds. Go for it. If you want me to. All right. Now, look, we had, a, we had a BLM march uh, in the city of Louisville. They decided to march on the police department. They contacted us beforehand and said, hey, we're going to do this really cool thing, and we think it would be great if you kneel with us out the street uh, with part of our leadership. And I said, you got to be out of your mind. Absolutely not. Doing for you or any other man. I've knelt twice in my life. The first time was when I asked my beautiful wife of 23 years to marry me. Yeah. And the second time is when I'm in church, praying for salvation for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I didn't participate in March. I didn't kneel for him. I absolutely will support anybody's right to peaceably assemble. Peaceably assemble. Because we all have that right under the First Amendment. But I will absolutely never, ever tolerate lawlessness and destruction and crime and disorder from any group, be it BLM or anybody else. All right. If you were to take the principal stand against federal overreach, how would you propose to be successful at resisting the pressure of the federal government to comply? What plans will you implement? Would you consider a citizen militia, posse? Who would you stand with? That would stand with you? Do either of you belong to CSPOA, Constitutional uh, Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association? Jeff? Uh, well, I'll answer kind of in reverse order for the question. So the first part of the answer is yes, I am a member of Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. That's Sheriff's Max Association, if you're not familiar with it. And if, you, if you are, I encourage you to look it up. It's a great organization. Um, what's the first part of the question, Solomon? Sorry. What uh, plans will you implement okay, in regards to uh, federal overreach? How would you propose to be successful at resisting the pressure the federal government can apply? What plans will you implement? First off, would you consider a citizen militia, posse, who would stand with you? Well, I'm going to be very persuasive. So um, I'll engage with the federal government early and often they have conversations with them about what those limitations are that the people of Larimer County expect. And I'm going to deliver, because I work for the people of Larimer County. I don't work for the federal government. Right. I don't work for them. I work for you. So they can want to do whatever they want. The fact of the matter is, if I have to deputize every man and woman in this county in order to stand up to government overreach and the federal government overstepping their bounds, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I think diplomacy is the key to everything. I think productive conversations get a lot more done than anything else. But the federal government is not going to push me around as your sheriff. As I said before, I don't work for the federal government. I work for you. I'm your sheriff, not the federal government's. So I'm happy to have conversations with them about whatever they want to have conversations about. Uh, but the fact of the matter is we are a sovereign people. We are a sovereign county. And we're going to stay that way. Thank you. John, are you here? No, I'm good. Got it? Absolutely. I mean, we have a posse, right? We have a great sheriff's posse. We have a great sheriff's reserve program. So absolutely. Do you want to be a member of the posse, member of the 
the reserves, we will certainly do that. And again, we're going to engage in those conversations like we talked about before. And we're not going to let you trample on the rights of our citizens. It's not going to happen, regardless whatever the whether it's going to be the no travel mandate or whatever it is. But that is not going to happen. And we will engage in those conversations, and we will have those influence, and we will use utilize the resources of the sheriff's office to prevent that. Like I said, there's a there's a fantastic organization already with the posse and with the reserve officers, and we welcome any man and woman who wants to be part of that to, to join us in that fight. So thank you. Are you a member of the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association? I am not. I didn't. I honestly didn't hear about till just now, so I'm not. All right. Thank you. John, we'll start out with you. Would you enforce Colorado's red flag gun confiscation law? Boy, short answer is no. Here's the thing, right? That law is fraught with lots of holes. That law is fraught with lots of It's designed to help somebody who's got a mental health crisis. Well, let's find mental health. Let's reinforce those kind of resources. I remember Sheriff Alder, when I was a brand new deputy about 16 years ago, talking about the need for mental health in our in our community. And as a brand new deputy, I was like, I, I think he's the crazy one. I don't know what, what that's all about. And it's amazing how now, 16 years later, we're just kind of getting to that point, that, that vision that he had. So would I, would I enforce it? No, there's better ways, there's better tools, there's better mechanisms to address those kinds of concerns. And so... And we need to we need to strengthen those. So thank you, Solomon. The red flag law, the extreme risk protection order laws, are the most unconstitutional, subjective, ambiguous, poorly written pieces of trash I've ever seen in 29 years. Of life. I don't know if I can be any clearer than that. Um, they're absolutely horrible, and I hate them for two reasons. The first reason I hate them is they are absolutely unconstitutional. They're unconstitutional overreaches of your rights. They violate both the, the federal, the U.S. Constitution, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and the Fourteenth Amendment, but they also violate Article Two, Section 13 of the Colorado State Constitution. They are absolutely unlawful and they're horrible. The second reason I hate it is because, make no mistake, despite what anybody tells you, they are not about, it's not about mental health and it's not about helping people. What it's about is a gun grab. And my friends in the legislature told me that flat out. They said, I had conversations with people on the D side who told me as they were running the legislation, this isn't, this isn't about mental health. It is an offer of proof for that. I can tell you there is there are zero monies allocated for mental health in that extreme risk protection order law. Absolutely none. No resources. It's not about helping people. It's about turning people in mental crisis into criminals. There's a better way to do that. We need to help people who are in mental crisis. We need to help our communities. Everybody knows someone who suffers from mental health problems. It might be a brother or an aunt or a neighbor or a, whoever the loved one is. I guarantee you, you know someone who suffers from this. I have somebody in my own family who suffers from mental health issues. It's wrong to treat them like criminals. Many of the law enforcement agencies in Larimer County and, and abroad have co-responder models where essentially they have paired clinicians with the law enforcement to help to better connect with people in the community to get them to the mental health resources they need. I'm going to expand that. If you elect me as your sheriff, 
I'm going to spearhead the first ever Larimer County Mental Health Task Force so we can proactively reach out to those people and address those needs before it becomes a crisis and before someone has to call 911. We've done that for years with narcotics trade to combat that. That's how we got drug task forces, and we've been very successful with that. I'm going to take that same model and use it to address the mental health crisis that we have in Larimer County. And we're going to have the first ever Larimer County Mental Health Task Force. Thank you. As you know, our current sheriff has pre frequently stated he does not support or enforce the current mask mandate, yet will not uh, prevent the health department from harassing small business owners to comply. Would you continue this policy if you were sheriff? I'm not going to harass or allow anyone else to harass small businesses because they don't comply with an order that an unelected bureaucrat decided to put on all of our business owners in the community. If, if you're a small uh, business owner, I would encourage you to take the approach that our friend Matt Schaup did at Doko Jiu-Jitsu. <coughs> what he did was he locked the door and put some tinning on the front door and installed a camera. So if you want to go into Noko Jiu-Jitsu, you have to ring the bell and then someone will greet you and ask you what you want. And if you're from the health department, he says, well, I don't need you here. I didn't call for you, so you can go away. So that would be the best way to combat that. Quite honestly, it's been very effective for him. Uh, but no, the fact of the matter is, uh, I am not going to be helping the health department do anything to make your lives more difficult, to take something away from your livelihood, to affect your families. Absolutely not. This is one of this. We will look back on this time in history as one of the greatest tragedies we have ever suffered with this crap with the county health department. Not just this county, it's every county. If you want to see some really bad people, I'll have you attend a meeting with me at the Boulder County Public Health Department. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You want to talk about people who have no understanding of individual freedom and constitutional rights, that's the group, folks. So, no, the answer is no. I will stand in front of that and do everything that I can to stop it. Maybe I'll be the first sheriff to ever issue an executive order. <laughs> I don't even know if I can do that, but I might give it a shot. I might issue an executive order that the health department is not going to shut down any businesses, and then if I have to send a deputy there to keep them out, then maybe that's what I'll do. <laughs> so let's talk about, are we going to help enforce that? No. Let's talk about what we've done, though. So the proof is in the pudding, right? So I happen to be very blessed, and I'm a president of my daughter's charter school, and been there for about six years. Our authorizer went to masks. Said, you know what? If you're going to be a school in our district, you got to wear masks. We went, you know what? We don't think that's the right way. We think parents deserve the right choice. They get to make that decision for their families. They get to decide what the best health care is. And no, we're not going to ask about vaccines. And no, we're not going to do or force vaccines or anything. So when it comes to the government forcing businesses to, to wear masks or mask mandates, I think the businesses have the best choice. Individuals get to make those best decisions. And that's what we did at the school where I served, is that we said, no, you know what, we're not. If you want to wear a mask, that's fine. I don't, we don't really care about that. But if you don't want to wear a mask, then don't wear a mask. Do what you as a family think is best for your family and your circumstances to keep your loved ones unmasked or safe or whatever you think is. So that's what we're going to do as well at the Sheriff's Office. John, we'll start out with you. Uh, what is your position on school resource officers 
Right, what is your position on school resource officers in, your, in our schools? Well, I'm an advocate for it. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. So I think it's great to have school resource officers in there. I know there's, there's controversy, there's discussion about, okay, are we creating a, this, this school to prison pipeline because we are, you know, remember the day Johnny Fan gets in the dust up in the, in the, in the playground, the principal will bring you in and Johnny Fan and whoever he's fighting with will be like, all right, you know what, you gotta go clap the erasers. Yes, we saw the erasers back in those days. You know, and there were other consequences. Law enforcement wasn't called. But law enforcement has a different role nowadays. And it, and it shouldn't be that. I still think of school administrators and pam, parents and families get involved in those kinds of things, on those minor issues. The school resource officers are part, in, in Fort Collins are part of the group that I lead. And what we do is, again, we collaborate, we communicate, we work with the school district. And we turn to them and we go, this is yours, but it's a partnership. It's not a unilateral decision. We say, you, this is something that you get to handle. But every once in a while, there's egregious crimes happen, right? Sexual assaults in the bathroom, physical assaults that result in people going to the hospital. There's a victim involved in some of those crimes. And the victims get a say in it too, right? Where's the justice for the victim if the school resource officers aren't there to be law enforcement officers? Do I support charging little Johnny Fan for every dust up he gets involved in? Absolutely not, that's not what the role is. But when the guy with the gun walks in the front door, Right? I want an armed officer there to confront that person, not a teacher, God bless them, who wants to protect the students, but doesn't do what we do. I also want an officer there to speak for the victims on those egregious moments, those egregious crimes, where there's a victim crying out for justice, and there needs to be an officer in that. So that's kind of where I stand with school resource officers, Solomon. That's your question. Absolutely an advocate for school resource officers. Um, I have watched throughout my career since the implementation of those officers, the good that they do in our schools, the good that they do with our youth. It's not they're not just there as law enforcement officers. They do so much more than that. And if you've ever had kids in the school where there was an SRO, um, if you're a parent or a grandparent of a child who's interacted with an SRO, you know what a blessing it is to have them there. They love those kids. They love those kids every bit as much as the teachers do, and those kids love those SROs. Yeah, they're there to take law enforcement action if that's necessary, but what I've learned over the years and what I've seen from those programs is the value of having them there as leaders and role models for those kids in those schools because a lot of kids don't have people like that in their lives. They just don't, and I think there are fewer and fewer of them all the time. Those SROs fill that role, and they fill a vital need. They disbanded our SRO program in Boulder Valley School District. Completely disbanded it, because we're all racists. That's literally what they said. I'm not making that up. And they wanted to point to the crime statistics um, with the pipeline to prison crack. John mentioned that. And it's true. There's, there's a whole uh, movement out there that's pushing this nonsense that, well, putting SROs in the school, you're creating a pipeline in prison. We made two custodial arrests in our high school in the last fiscal year. They were both white kids. And they were, it was both because the administration of the school called for police assistance. And so because of that, we're all racists. 
So don't believe that garbage, folks, because that's exactly what it is. It's garbage. Those SROs do fantastic work. They're some of the best people I've ever worked with, and I will absolutely continue that program as you share. Yes, uh, we'll, uh, we'll start out with you on this one. Have you ever been sued in your official capacity as a law enforcement officer for violating citizens' state or federal constitutional rights or a tort claim such as excessive force or assault? And that's for both of you. Yeah? No. for the same thing, and both times it was dismissed. And I'm going to tell you the story, and I will tell you I, did, I would do what I did again, and why I did it, with one exception. So, December, December of 2010, a lady, a woman in our community loses custody of her child to, to dad, to the biological father. Courts rule, you have lost custody, you have lost custody, you have lost custody. You were, I mean, not just shared custody, but you have lost custody completely. For whatever reason, the courts made that decision. And they're giving the child to the biological father. Not the social services, not to the system, but the dad. So, unfortunately, those set of circumstances in your life that give you job security as law enforcement come into play. So the dad goes to the school. It is the day of the, the Christmas pageant, and it goes to the headmaster at the school and says... Hey, just want to let you know I'm picking up my son after school. Uh, here's a court order. The courts have said that mom is not a fit mom, and uh, I'm going to pick him up. And the headmaster said, well, I appreciate you letting us know that. Well, so dad leaves. He's getting ready for the Christmas pageant. Mom walks in the door for the Christmas pageant. The headmaster happens to see mom in the hallway and goes, hey, mom, I'm sorry to hear about your son. And she's like, what are you talking about? Well... Dad was here with court orders. You lost your son. And she's like, what? Well, she ran down the hallway, grabbed the kid, and disappeared with him. We didn't know where she was. The courts had ruled that she's not a fit mother. The child was not safe. And so we, at the time, I was a sergeant in investigations, and we tried to contact her. We did all the things that we did in investigations. And again, this is December of 2010. One of the things that we knew is that she was going to court the next morning pro se, which means she's going to represent herself and she's going to petition the court to get her kid back. At the time, I took advantage of an opportunity. I asked her criminal impact unit, I need to put a tracker on her car because she's going to go back to the, she's going to go back to the kid and I need to find out where that kid is to make sure that kid is safe and not at risk. We also got an arrest warrant for mom and arrested her. And she said, I will never talk, I will never tell you where the child is, it's, it's not safe, you can put me in prison forever. Well, that lasted for about all of five hours. And she's like, prison stinks, and here's where the kid is. So we got him back. Unfortunately, what had happened, and it was Christmas. I went on Christmas break. The team went on Christmas break. She lived, and they kicked her out of the jail, right? The only bond condition was we get the child back. And we got the child back. So they let her out of, I let her out of the jail. And I'm, I'm winding up, I promise, okay? She's, we let her out of jail. She gets in the car and she lives up Risk Canyon. Well, it's December. It's cold. The battery in the tractor dies. And we can't find her. 
Four months later, she takes the car to a mechanics, and they find it. And in January of that year, case, case law changed. Jackson, v. U, Jackson versus U.S. comes out from the U.S. Supreme Court that says, you can't, as a law enforcement officer, even put a tracker on the car without a warrant. That wasn't the case law prior to that. Before, you put a tracker on it, you just couldn't turn it on without a warrant. So all we do is we slap the magnetic tracker on for the safety of the child. Case law changed, and she sued me and lost. It was dismissed in federal court. Senate Bill 217 comes around two years ago, right? Talks about all the IA, and that's the one time at the sheriff's office, my internal affairs file. That's the only thing that's on there, and I was disciplined for that, for, for embarrassing the sheriff's office. But you know what? I did it because I was trying to protect the child. Because the court said she was an unfit mother. I'm almost done. Senate Bill 217 comes along two years ago, and it says, you know what? Every IA file that, that uh, every officer has, everything, we can, we can resurrect that. So she sued me in federal court again, thinking that that would resurrect her 2011 case. And the federal judge took one look at that and said, absolutely not. No way. And dismissed it. So I'm done. Thank you. John, we have another question here for you. Have you ever discussed changing your political party or uh, affiliation from Republican to Democrat with anyone from Larimer County Democrat Party? I did. I'm not going to lie to you. Absolutely I did. I did for a couple reasons. Because I want to serve. And I don't care if my name's an R or a D on that. And because when I called the Republican Party, I... I'll be I got treated like dog crap on the bottom of the shoe initially. Because they already had a candidate, they had Jeff Fisher. And they didn't want John Fan. I don't know that they want John Fan now. And so it's like, you know what? I want to serve. I want to serve. And I know this is not winning me any friends in here, but I'm not going to lie to you either. I had to call four times to introduce myself before I got a return phone call. And then when I got a return phone call, it was like, Mr. Fan, what is it exactly you want you want from us? Well, I told you on the message, and I want to be a candidate for sheriff. I'm endorsed by the current sheriff and the former sheriff. And you couldn't even bother to give me a call for a month. So did I look up for other opportunities to serve the citizens of this county? Does that mean it's going to change who I am or what I'm going to believe in or what I'm going to do? Absolutely not. The sheriff's office is a political position in this community. But being safe, feeling comfortable in your home, it doesn't know political boundaries. It doesn't know your race, your socioeconomic background. And so, did I? Absolutely. And I'm not going to lie to you about that. I will never lie to you or hide at anything that's in my past. And if that turns you off, so be it. But that's who I am because I want to serve and I'm serving from the heart regardless of what the party affiliation says. Thank you, John. Fort Collins, Chief of Police, Jeff Sabota was quoted in a June 7, 2020 article in the Colorado in which he acknowledged that the systemic racism is a problem in Fort Collins and law enforcement. Question, do you believe there is a problem with systemic racism in Fort Collins? And if so, what do you intend to do about it? Jeff? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think there's systemic racism in the city of Fort Collins. Um, I think that's another myth that's been perpetuated by the anti-law enforcement and anti-public safety crowd. Um, I, I've never lived in Fort Collins, but I'm a third-generation Colorado native. 
I was born and raised in Greeley, and I've lived here for the last 26 years. And I've spent a lot of time in Fort Collins. Uh, I've never seen systemic racism there, and I've never seen systemic racism or racism at all, quite honestly, in my 29 years in law enforcement. Now, does that mean there aren't racists out there? No, of course there are. Uh, but what the way I'll deal with that is, on the front end, we have an obligation to hot to recruit, retain, and hire the best people that we can. Now we hire from the human race. So if in the in the course of doing that, if there's somebody in my office that demonstrates himself or herself to be a racist, engages in racist activity or anything like that, that's going to be their last day of work and they're going to be out because I'm not going to tolerate it. Race, racism is an absolutely disgusting scourge and it has to be dealt with directly and swiftly. That being said, I don't think there's systemic racism here and I don't think there's systemic racism in law enforcement. You know, I struggle with that initially, understanding it. Because I heard that term, so it's like, I'm not a racist. I treat people based upon, I'm a mirror of what, how you treat me. You treat me with dignity and respect, and communicate with me, and I will do the same with you. Treat me, and fight me, then I'm going to fight you back. So I'm kind of a mirror. So when you say, when people say, you're a racist, when the demonstrations happened in front of the PD, and we were out there talking to folks, and they said, you're a racist. I was like, I'm not a racist. I don't get that. I don't understand that. But of course, I don't live in their perspective. Do I think the Fort Collins officers or any other officers in this community come to work and say, I'm going to particularly pick on some group, whether it's, again, gender-based, race-based, socioeconomic-based? Absolutely not. And they will be held to that standard of transparency. Everybody is treated the same. Our motto at Fort Collins Police Services is safety and service for all, because that's what it should be. Safety and service for all. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what your education is. You should be comfortable in your home. You should be free from crime. You should not be a victim. And that's what I'll bring to the sheriff's office. If you transgress from that, then of course there's accountability for that. If you treat somebody different only because of their gender identification or because they wear glasses or because I'm 20 pounds overweight, whatever the reason is, that's totally not acceptable. So, safety and service for all. Does that mean I'm going to, somebody's going to ask me, and i got two more minutes, am I going to bring Fort, Fort Collins to the sheriff's office? No, I'm not going to bring Fort Collins to the sheriff's office. There's some great things going on at the sheriff's office. Things that I want to continue. Does it mean that I'm not going to adopt some of the benefits that I've had from working at Fort Collins Police Services there or from other places? Doesn't mean that either. I want to move the agency forward, and that means bringing in different ideas. And so, do I think there's racism? I, I don't think that there's racism in Fort Collins. Does it mean that we can't continue to listen to our, our minority populations, whatever that minority is? Absolutely not. We should always be engaged in those conversations for better understanding so that we can keep them safe as well. Thank you. We'll start with you, John. What is your thoughts on concealed carry? and constitutional carry. Do you support concealed carry permits? Why or why not? So I do, but let me expand on that. Um, you know what? Guns, guns are guns. It's kind of like gun violence. It's like saying my table fork made me fat. No, that's not what it is. 
It's me, right? It's a tool. I would totally support, I think every encounter I go into, matter of fact, if I ask right now, how many of you are packing right now? I bet you a large majority of you are. And you should be, right? If that's what you want to do. If you're trained to do, to do that. I love it when a concealed carry permit, when I, if, if I do a traffic stop or encounter somebody, because they're taught, right? Hey, officer, I'm a concealed carry permit holder. Just want you to let you know I'm carrying right now. Awesome. My response is, tell you what, I'll make you a deal. Don't point yours at me, and I won't point mine at you. How's that for a deal, right? And so I think we should have a constitutional amendment that allows everybody to carry if they want to without getting a concealed carry permit. That's how I treat everybody anyway. Did you think the bad guys are following the rules and getting concealed carry permits? Absolutely not. Take away concealed carry permits and don't let people carry weapons. Again, that old adage, only the bad guys are going to have guns. And I, I believe that's true. Would I still issue them? Yeah, absolutely. And here's the reason I would issue them is because I'm not a native. I'm from Iowa. And I travel across different states. And I want to be able to carry my weapon to other states. And I want that reciprocity. And sometimes that takes having a concealed carry permit from your elected sheriff to do that. Amen. Yes, I would continue to do that. Yeah, I uh, tell people all the time, to the chagrin of my wife, she said, you got to stop saying this. They say, I'm the most pro-gun candidate who has ever run for Larimer County Sheriff. And that's a, that's a pretty bold statement, because we've had some very pro-gun sheriffs. One of them's here with us tonight. Um, I'm a constitutional carry advocate. Um, I believe every law-abiding citizen should carry a pistol to defend himself and defend herself, okay? I don't think we need permits for it, because we already have a permit. It's called the Second Amendment. Yeah. So, we're actively engaged in our state legislature to ensure that we get constitutional carry passed in the state of Colorado. Ron Hanks, uh, Representative Ron Hanks, has introduced that legislation just this year. He's the first representative in Colorado who's ever actually introduced that. I support that 100%. But that being said, there is an absolute need for permits. Um, I don't think you need one to carry a gun because, again, that's what the Constitution does for you. But you do need one when you go to travel to another state that is not as gun-friendly as Larimer County is. And I would absolutely always issue permits to anybody who needs one so they can protect themselves while out of state in uh, non-gun-friendly territory. But uh, no, I think people absolutely need to be armed. As they say, you've probably heard the saying, and I agree with it, the Second Amendment guarantees all the rest of them, right? <laughs> and it ain't about duck hunting. Okay? <laughs> we don't have the Second Amendment because the deer were coming. <laughs> we have the Second Amendment that the British were coming. And that's how we got our freedom, and that's why we exist today, is because we have the right to keep and bear arms, and I will support that till the day I die. Yeah. question for each one of you, but I'll work. I'll start out with you, Jeff. You're currently the Deputy Chief of Police in Louisville. Prior to that post, you were a Sergeant with the police, London Police Department. Will you explain the nature of your departure from the London Police Department, including whether you were under duress or resigned or otherwise being forced to leave? Were you reprimanded or otherwise sanctioned under protest or left that post to avoid any discovery or wrongdoing? Simply please explain why you no longer are no longer with the London Police Department. That's a great question. Uh, I served uh, almost two decades of honorable decorated service with the City of Lowland Police Department. I discovered corruption in 
the police department that started at the line level and went all the way to the office of the chief of police. So I exposed that. When I did that, the city manager at the time and the city council weren't interested in hearing what I had to say, and they weren't interested in dealing with it. So I had a choice to make. Do I continue to work in an organization that's going to tolerate that, or do I get out? The choice is pretty easy, folks. I would never stay in a corrupt organization. Now, that being said, let me tell you something. The people I work with, there are so, so many of them. They're some of the best people I've ever met in my life, okay? It wasn't the entire police department. It was some select individuals. But the city manager's office and the city council refused to, be, to deal with it. So I sought other opportunities. When the opportunity in Louisville came up, I took it and I left. The short answer is no. I was never in any trouble. I was never under suspicion of being in trouble. I was not leaving to run from anything. I didn't leave because I was in trouble. I left because I exposed trouble and they refused to deal with it. So, there's an offer of proof, a couple offer, offers of proof that I'll give you to prove my point about that is that police chief, that entire police administration, that city manager no longer worked there. And I had absolutely something to do with that. I'm very proud of it. If I had to do it over again today, I'd do exactly the same thing. If you want to check out my personnel files, I'm happy to share them with you. I'll sign a complete, uh, un un unredacted, unrestricted access to my personnel files, not only in the city of Lubbock, but anywhere I've ever worked. I'm pretty proud of my history. Not only there, but everywhere, really. And I have absolutely nothing on it. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. So, um, if you want to know what the corruption is, take me to coffee sometime. We don't have time for it tonight. I'll be happy to tell you what that is, okay? Um, but I'm also very glad to say that the people that uh, I was trying to deal with are no longer there. So goal is accomplished. But I, I couldn't stand there and work there and be a part of that any longer. And that's why I left. That's the kind of sheriff I want, and I think that's the kind of sheriff you want, too. Thank you. John, some more questions here. You're currently an officer with the Fort Collins Police Department. Prior to that post, you were a deputy of the Larimer County Sheriff's Department. Will you explain the nature of your departure from the Larimer County Sheriff's Department? Again, were you under duress, resigned, or otherwise being forced to leave? You feel you were unfairly denied a promotion or a raise in pay? Or you were reprimanded or otherwise sanctioned under protest? Please explain why you're no longer with the Larimer County Sheriff's Department. This is easy. This is the easy one, right? So I'm not with the Liberty County Sheriff's Office because the Liberty County Sheriff came down the hallway one day and knocked on my door. He said, you know what? i got a great opportunity for you. I would love for you to be in my command staff. I don't have room for you, my executive staff. I think you're ready for that position. I think you're ready for the next step in your career and your journey. And Fort Collins is looking for an assistant chief. It's like, ah, you know what? You know what, Sheriff? They're going to look for people from all over the country. Where are they going to hire some guy from down the hill, right? I mean, that's the. Why are they going to do that? You got to be, and to be an expert, you got to carry a briefcase and be from at least fifty miles away. And I'm not that. I'm from five blocks away. He's like, yeah, you know what? Though you're ready. I have faith in you. I have confidence in you. I, with your your integrity, with your your work product, the way you can lead. And I think you're ready. You got to try. So I was like, okay, right? 
I'm a big believer in letting somebody else tell you no than saying no to yourself. So give it a shot. You never know what the results are going to be. And the results, in my case, were a blessing. January 2nd of 2019, I became an assistant chief at Fort Collins. Surprised even me. And I'm very, very blessed to have been there and to get that different perspective. So now I not only have experience in the sheriff's office, but I have experience in a municipal law enforcement agency. So was I under duress? Was I denied a promotion? Was I, I was in the cap root seat. I was a lieutenant in investigations. I was working for kids. I had a passion for doing that and serving those who were victimized by those who trusted them. I was in the best of both worlds. Wasn't looking at going anywhere for any reason. Until a man I respected very much came down and said, you're ready for the next journey, and you can only benefit the citizens of Larimer County and Fort Collins by taking that step. And I was very blessed that they said yes. Thank you, Josh. In light of what the FBI did to Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters and America's mom, Sharona Bishop, bust into their home with the assistance of the local law enforcement authorities on a conspiracy to commit wire fraud warrant, how would you propose to address this overreach by federal authorities of Laramie County? Is it for me? Yes. For both of you. Let me start. You're first. No, Jesper. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you ever repeat the question? You got it? No, I think I got it. Right. right, so it all begins with the relationships, not the ultimatums. It begins with the relationships so that when that happens, they come to your door and say, hey, look, this is going to happen. And then you, as the as sheriff, you get to go, absolutely not, or absolutely, absolutely not. You get to make that decision, but it begins with those relationships with your federal partners. And so... You throw somebody in your community to the wolves without any due cause, any due process. Do you frighten their children? Or is that really the best way of doing that? So, absolutely not. So that's how you do it. You do. You begin with the relationships. Jack. No, I've got it. I uh, and I'll tell you, I haven't been following that that case very closely in Mesa County, but I knew know enough about it uh, to be horrified, quite frankly. Um, I, I don't know what the nature of the charges are they have uh, on her, but to break down a mother's door when she's in her home with her children because of some kind of fraud warrant uh, is not only unacceptable, and it's not contemporary law enforcement tactics, but it's a, it's a constitutional violation. It's called excessive force, folks. That's what it's called. It's a Fourth Amendment violation. It's absolutely atrocious. I will never, ever let that happen in Larimer County if I'm your sheriff. I think relationships matter, but they only matter uh, to the point that someone wants to trample on someone else's rights. And at that point, if I've got to end a good relationship in order to protect the people of this county, then that's perfectly fine with me. Jeff, start out with you on this one. With people who vote you in the office who will be your boss, how will you guard against the political pressure to report to those people in the county offices? Mm -hmm. Withhold the pressure to report to, I'm sorry, whom? The 
to the people in the county offices, I guess to other county offices, commissioners, commissioners, commissioners. Oh, okay. Oh, I understand the question. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a great, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah, those are important relationships to have, but I don't work for them. I work for you. That's, that's the end of the day. So, um, the, when you answer to the people, the, the people are your boss. So I'm, I'm always going to be more interested in what you think and what you have to say than some other official is. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to come out and speak with you on a regular basis in all areas of the county. I'm going to hold regular meetings, community meetings, to get kind of a report card, kind of feedback from you because you are my boss. And I want to know what we're doing well. I want to know what we can do better. I want to know if you like the kind of law enforcement you're getting in the area of the county where you live. If you don't like it, and I'm going to take copious notes, and I'm going to act on that. So in terms of service delivery and public safety, I'm going to be responsive to the people. I'm not going to be responsive to other elected officials, and I'm not going to be responsive to unelected bureaucrats. I'm going to be responsive to you. Now, that's not to say I'm not going to maintain good relationships with them. I have great relationships uh, with the other with elected officials with whom I work now, other law enforcement executives, um, and all kinds of professional affiliations. And that stuff's all great. But at the end of the day, the sheriff can't forget who he or she works for, and that's you. And that's what I'm going to do for you in Arnica. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome to think about being an elected official. I mean, it really is. While maybe the process of getting there isn't real wonderful in some regards, and uh, right, causes some weight loss or weight gain or loss of hair or whatever. But you know what? When you think about how we founded, where we came from, and all the things that our founding fathers thought about as far as forms of government, you know, in the words of Benjamin Franklin, when he was asked what kind of government you have, and he says a republic, if you can keep it, and what that means, it's amazing. It totally is amazing. Because sitting as the elected official, absolutely, you are the boss. And I get to make those decisions. You give that authority to those elected officials, but we have the ultimate authority in that ballot box and say, no more, no more. And so, absolutely, are we beholden to the county commissioners? No, the chain of authority doesn't work that way. You don't answer, uh, excuse me, the, center, the county commissioners, right? You answer the people. And if the people are unhappy with the service that they're giving, or if they're unhappy with the decisions that you're making, they have the ultimate authority in the ballot box. So am I beholden to them? Am I going to follow what they say? No, I'm not. I'm coming to your doors. I'm coming to your communities. White, black, rich, poor, rural, urban, it doesn't matter. I'm coming to your doors because you are my boss. We may not always agree, and that's okay. And if we disagree to such a degree that it's untenable anymore, then guess what? In four years, you don't have to vote for me. And that's how our system works. So God bless America. <laughs> this is a question for both of you, John. We'll start out with you. What is what is a mistake you've made in your law enforcement career? What have you learned from it, and how will that experience impact your role as sheriff? So, if we just say asked and answered, with the whole <laughs> did you get sued before, right? So, um, attention to detail. Attention to detail is one. What does that do? It's always asking, what's the follow-up, right? Are we doing the right things for the right reasons, for the right time, at the right person, the right place? And is there a promise? Is there a commitment? Is there an expectation that you have to be, that you that you have committed to? 
So, and that's what I, I failed to do in that instance. So when we talk about mistakes, we talked about that, right? I didn't follow through, I didn't communicate very well. I didn't make sure that that tractor got off of her car. And that was my responsibility as a case officer in that case. And I didn't do that. And so, what do you do as the sheriff in those situations? You instill a culture of watching everybody's back. And that includes keeping the promises where you made those commitments. And so that's what I would do, and that's what I learned from the mistake I had. Thanks, John. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple of them. The first one is, uh, I should have left Lovell Police Department sooner. I'll just be honest with you, I should have. Um, I stayed there longer than I should have, and um, there's a lot about working there that I love, but I should have left sooner. But I'll give you a more personal example. Um, I had a, an interaction, I made a comment one night to one of the officers uh, when we were in ship briefing, and said, um, I kind of referred to the officer as, as uh, the security guard on the ship, because this officer liked to go out and check buildings to make sure that they were locked or not locked or whatever, um, which I kind of chalked up to being security guard kind of stuff. Um, I wanted my ship to go out and chase felons. So um, it was kind of some good-natured teasing. But that officer came to me later and said, you know, um, it really bothers me what you said. I'm working hard. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm trying to do what you expect me to do. And honestly, what you said really hurt my feelings. And, man, I got to tell you, I felt terrible about that. Um, it wasn't a huge deal, but it was a big enough deal that that, that officer felt, felt it necessary to bring it up to me. And expected some correction, and I said, I said, I, I sincerely apologize. I was not trying to belittle you or make fun of you. It was an offhand comment, and and I'm sorry. Um, the takeaway from that, not that again, that this is the biggest incident in the world, but the takeaway from that is, you treat people right. You go out of your way to treat people right. And I would tell the same officer and the same shift of officers. This is called the golden rule of policing. You police people the way you would want to be policed. You treat people the way you want them to treat you. And I failed that officer that night. And this was an officer I respected. This was somebody I really liked. And that was, that was for me, um, really a wake-up call, but uh, a very humbling moment. And I appreciated him bringing that to my attention. And I felt absolutely terrible. And that stuck with me. For a number of years, and I bring that up as an example because it resonated with me so much. And it's part of the part of the philosophy that I carry forward in delivering public safety service every day, not only with the officers, but with the community. You treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat people with respect no matter what. It's the golden rule. You police others the way you would want others to police you, and you treat people the way you expect them to treat you. So it was a great takeaway for me. With you on this one. What is your opinion of BLM? I think BLM is a Marxist organization. I think, they are, I think they are one of the most anti public safety, anti law enforcement groups that we've seen in, in probably three or four decades. I think if they had their way, every police officer would be dead. I think they illustrated that, um, certainly in New York City, when there were thousands of them marching down the street saying, pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon. 
Um, I think they are not interested in black lives. I don't think they think black lives matter. I think what they're interested in is domestic terrorism. So, I don't have a whole lot of use for Black Lives Matter. Thank you, Jeff. Doc, what's your opinion, what's your opinion of BLM? It's the same, right? I mean, any order, when you wrap yourself around a message that's supposed to do good for people and it becomes about the violence, it's no longer about the message, it's about the violence. Regardless of what you call yourself. And that's just totally unacceptable. And that's what it's become. Totally unacceptable. So if you want to do well, if you want to do something good for a population, then fantastic, do something good. But it's, but like, like, like Jeff said, it's not about advocating for black people anymore. It's about bringing society to a crumble. It's about denigrating officers. It's about terrorism and making people afraid. And no matter what you call yourself as a group, that is totally unacceptable and will remain unacceptable during my watch and share up. Jeff, here's a question for you. What is your pathway to win the general when uh, John has been endorsed by both previous sheriffs, uh, standing 24 years? I'm trying to read this chicken scratch here. Uh, basically, what is your pathway to win the general election? <laughs> All of you. That's my pathway to win the general election. Okay? That's the short answer. Uh, the fact of the matter is, folks, I, I announced for this office last April, and I had a lot of people ask me, what are you, idiot? You want to run or you want to campaign for 18 months? And I said, it's not about campaigning. Campaigning is not the goal. So if I have to do it for 18 months in order to be successful, then that's what I'm going to do. My pathway to that is the message that I'm bringing to Larimer County, which is safety, service, and leadership. My pathway to that is that I am the constitutional candidate in this race that's running. I'm the person who's going to stand up for you. I'm the person who's going to stand up for your rights. I'm going to always tell it to you straight. When we do something well, I'm going to brag about it. And we, when we screw up, I'm going to be the first one to take accountability for it because the buck stops here. So I'm asking for your support because my pathway there, ladies and gentlemen, is through caucus and assembly. So I'm asking you to go to caucus, and I'm asking you to be a delegate for them, to go to assembly, and to vote for me to be your candidate for Larimer County Sheriff. Thank you. John, here's a, here's a question for you, I think, but this applies to both of you. If uh, laws were passed requiring insurance on guns, will you enforce them? Insurance on guns. Yep. Well, I, don't, I don't know that that's a law in California. Insurance on guns. I have insurance on my guns, right? So if somebody steals them out of my home, I can get a new one. So I have insurance on my guns. But if you're not gonna, but it's like, no, I totally understand that. So yes. So no, we're not. We are not the insurance providers. We are not gonna create another obstacle to, to somebody guaranteeing their Second Amendment rights. Because at some point, says I can afford. Again, the bad guys aren't gonna follow the rules. You think the bad guys are gonna have insurance on their guns? Absolutely not. So it's preposterous to think that we're going to enforce those kind of laws and those kind of rules. That's and oh my gosh, if we get to that point, that's just that's horrendous. So absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, no, 
again, the continuous theme, right? No. And I don't have insurance on my guns. And the reason I don't have insurance on my guns is because I had a great conversation with my state farm agent who said, if you want a specific policy on your guns, I got a lot of them, you're going to have to give me the serial numbers for all your guns. The Obama administration decided that the insurance industry needed to forward that information to the federal government. She said, so just so you know, I'll be happy to write you a policy on your guns, but if you do that, the federal government's going to know exactly what guns you own. And I said, thanks, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's not a, that's, see, this is yet another attempt by the federal government. This is another gun grab, okay? Do you think they care that your guns are insured? Do they care that you're insured for anything at all for any reason? This is a mechanism for them to get to you to run roughshod over your constitutional rights. I keep a keen eye on what the federal government does. I watch them like a hawk because the only two enemies, natural enemies, the guns have is rust and politicians. <laughs> that's, that's a fact. Okay? I say all the time that I'm running as your constitutional candidate, and that's the truth. I understand the Constitution. I understand what it means to uphold it, and I understand what it says, what it means to say no. The Constitution doesn't give the government power. The Constitution limits the government's power. And they need to be reminded of that early and often. It's probably one of the strongest traits that I have. It's one of the reasons that I have the endorsement of the Jackson County Sheriff, of the Grand County Sheriff, of the former Adams County Sheriff, and of Fraternal Order Police Lodge 63. Those are all constitutional men and constitutional organizations. They know that I am the same as they are. They know how I'm going to provide public safety service. They know that I'm a guardian of the Constitution, and that's why they support me. Jeff, this is a real quick one. Then we'll start with you. Do you support the teaching of critical race theory in our schools? You know what? 
I want my students to do well. The reason we came here in the first place is because I want you to teach them the basics. I want you to teach my daughter the basics. I want you to her be a good thinker and, can, and read well and write well and, and perform well. But you know what? Values and morals and expectations, those are set around the fan family dinner table every night. That is not something that you need to instill in my daughter. We will do that for you and talk about that. The choice needs to be with the parents. We, when it came before the school board that we were, the school board that we that I'm on, we said absolutely not. We're not teaching our, our students that. And if you want to teach your students that, then you need to go to a different school. So the answer is no. Ron, there's a lot of questions here uh, uh, involving you kneeling, those pictures, you know, with Black Lives. I'm going to read a couple of them for you to get a chance to actually explain your position on this, all right? Well, before you do that, was it already asked and answered, or is it some Well, there's probably still some more. Okay, very good, cool. All right. In June of 2020, when the Black Lives Matter movement was rioting, burning, and killing innocent people in the cities around the county, you kneeled in uniform in solidarity with uh, uh, rioters. How do you explain your action and, or do you regret it? Second one is, why did you kneel for Black Lives Matter? I think I already asked, answered that. Answered all those? All right. So, yes, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, the first one, so do the first one for me, Kitsama, would you please? Sure. Basically, the question is, now do you, uh, do you explain your action and do you regret it? Okay, so, okay, so June of 2020 when this happened, there wasn't burning and looting yet. It turned into that. Remember, this is a week after a man lost his life, right? And the officers didn't get to go home with their families. So I hadn't evolved in that. So I didn't view it from that lens. I, and I, like I explained before, I viewed it from the lens of a man lost his life, and four families lost husbands, brothers, sons, and, and became the epicenter for a whole summer of distress. And that's not what they intended to do when they walked out that morning. I think they intended to serve their communities. And so, so I was praying for them, and like I explained before, I was I was praying for peace. And the people that I was that I dealt with, they weren't rioting, they weren't burning down buildings, they weren't breaking things. And so I don't know what the larger discussion was, but those community members there were the ones who asked for that moment of silence out of respect for the man who lost his life. Again, whether you think he's a good guy, bad guy, or whatever, and the officers didn't come home, and that's why I knelt. So you ask me, do I regret that decision? Or one could say, well, if I was going to be the politician, I'd say, well, yeah, look, you're asking me questions about this in this forum. And obviously this is the not a forum that's supportive of that. But again, we live in a great country. And I'm not going to lie to you and say that, you know what, I wish it never would have happened. Because the day that I can't kneel for somebody who lost their life for whatever reason and say a prayer to the Lord that I believe in, you know what? If you want to take that away from me, that makes me sad. But so be it. Thank you, John. <laughs> All right. Where does the health department, uh, specifically health dictator Tom Gonzalez, 
Uribe's power to dictate mass wearing, both private business and mass. Hey, let him ask the question. What's that? Ask something that has something to do with the sheriff's office. Come on. Come on. Holy cow. You need a new moderator? While he's digging through that, I'll, I'll offer something that has something to do with the sheriff's office. If I'm elected sheriff, I'll let the deputies have beers first day. I know that's important to me, so they're going to be able to wear beers if I'm the sheriff. I thought you said you didn't want to have beers. <laughs> uh, pretty much, that's pretty much all the questions that uh, really pertain to sheriff's, uh, uh, the sheriff's office. We have a couple of minutes uh, before we close this out. Yes, we're going on 7.30. I'd like to give each candidate, give them a, a big round of applause. I'd like to give each candidate a Give us uh, three minutes if you're closing. Uh, Jeff, why don't you start us out? Hey, it's icy cold out there. Thank you all for coming out tonight. I really do sincerely appreciate it. I love doing forums. I love answering questions. Thank you for bringing them, and thank you for being here. I'm going to again ask you for your support. There's a table on the way right out the door. I've got envelopes out there. If you can throw 10 bucks in it for my campaign, I would love it. There's also a QR code if you want to donate uh, with a card. But most importantly, folks, I'm asking you for your support at caucus and at assembly. That's really where I need you to go. That's the way I'm going to get there. The pathway through there is through the people, which is how this process should go. And I'm asking for your support. I need you to be a delegate for me at assembly. Thank you again for your time, and God bless all of you, and God bless my family. Again, I appreciate the opportunity as well, and I appreciate the hard questions, because you know what? You deserve to know. If that's weighing on your mind, thank you for asking that. And again, the way our system works, you may support me, you may not support me, and that's fine. But if you do, this, the same talk goes out, right? Cox is coming up. You hear our party chairman say, March 1st is where we take the grassroots back to the, the, pu the public, the people, and we change things. So I would love your support. Um, there's literature out there as well. So again, I appreciate the opportunity to, to address all of you. If you have more hard questions, I welcome them. If you want to know more about the vision I have for the sheriff's office, again, I welcome that. So I want to thank right. you, Yvonne. Thank you. Thanks, Doc. Tuning in, and uh, we'll be back for the Senate. So, hope you guys are having a great night, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. And there we have it, the Larimer County Sheriff Candidate Forum. So I pre greatly appreciate both candidates for inviting us out to be able to go Facebook Live and be able to share what they have to offer to the citizens of Larimer County. Especially, I mean, this is a big race that we're going to be watching as we go through caucus, as we go through assembly, and then as we go through the primary and then ultimately the general election. That's going to take place in November, um, but we are going to be keeping an eye on that as well as bringing you an awful lot more candidates as they start to announce and not only for sheriff but also for a lot of the other races that are taking place so thank you for tuning in to the native and the transplant and 
as always, I'm your native, Alex Johnson, and then, of course, our transplant, Jen Bryant. We'll see you next week. Take care.